Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So, Come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode. Boom! Moby, baby. We got Moby on the show. I mean, I, this guy doesn't even need an introduction. We're talking... This is a, he's a basically a rock star. First rock star to ever have on the show. Just an amazing show. We talk about consciousness. We talk about, you know, how do you show up and create and do it from the right place and having the right mindset and how he did that and overcame fame. And it was really cool, man. I, I was surprised by how great of a conversation we had. Said it multiple times on the show that we could have gone for three hours. Stay tuned. This is probably one of the best episodes of the, of the Great Machine. Pete's. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatest Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazade, and boy, do we have some special guests. My gosh, Moby and Lindsay Hicks are in the house. What's up, guys? Hi, I have a quick question. Yeah. How do you pronounce your last name? You just sort of glossed over it, and I'm really trying to make sense of it. Oh, man, I was going to tell you that since you're going by Moby, I'm just going to go by my first name because my last name is so long. But um, no, it's Mershazade, so it's, it's actually Persian. It's of Persian descent. Okay. And it, you, you, I have, oh, go ahead. You had a question? Mir Shazadeh. Mir Shazadeh. And in, and it, it, you want to hear a funny story about my last name since we're here? A hundred percent. I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to throw it out. So my last name, it, 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 there's three parts to it. Per, and if you ever see someone with the Z-A-D-E-H, Zadeh at the end, they're for sure Persian. Okay. I'm, I'm half Persian. So my last name is Mir Shazadeh. And it, Mir means royal. Shah means king. And Zadeh means descendant of. So my last name is descendant of the royal king. Now, the funny part is that my paternal grandfather, that was not his last name. It was my my paternal grandmother's maiden name, and he took it because it had such strong meaning. 
because he's like, oh man, I got I gotta associate myself with the royalty. He, he was a, he was a hustler, so he he took his he took his wife's last name. So there you go. Now you know the history of my last name. I like well, it's it. A, I, I've never heard such a complicated name, and it sounds so regal and fancy. So congratulations. Thank you, thank you. My parents <laughs> named me after Darius the Great who ruled the world and then they gave me and then I got my last name. So, you know, I'm just here to, to kick ass and take names and have a regal name, but, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Um, do you guys mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping and then we'll get popping on the show? Yeah. Oh, great. Let's do it. You guys. So listen, for listeners who are new to the show, we're about two things here at the greatness machine. People are living their passions and those creating greatness and doing so despite the odds and Moby and Lindsay are neither short of passion or greatness. So, uh, before the show, I was just going to say this listeners, I'm going to admit to something right now, uh, probably 30 now, maybe a little less than that. Cause I'm, I'm I would have been 15, probably about 27, 28 years ago. I was, I will admit, I was a raver that went to house parties in downtown San Francisco and I was in love with Moby's music. Uh, all through the 90s and early 2000s, back when I was a, a big dance party guy. And so just the, the minute uh, like his PR team shot the bio over that him and Lindsay want to be on the show, I was like, uh, yeah, in two seconds, man. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the music. And any project you're working on, we're so happy to, to support for you here at The Greatest Machine. So thanks for coming on, guys. I'm so pumped to have you here. Um, I'd like to do a little bit of your guys' formal bios. And then if you guys don't mind, we could, we could get popping on the show. Does that work? Great. Awesome. So uh, for listeners who are maybe not familiar with Moby and Lindsay, Moby is a singer and songwriter, producer uh, uh, from New York City, music legend, sold over 20 million albums, uh, two songs on the Billboard 100, Southside with Gwen Stefani and ASAP Rocky. And uh, man, you've, do you've done so much, man. I'm, I, I'm, I would spend like the next 15 minutes talking about all the cool things you worked on. One of the things that, that I said, I said, you know, you've made it when you've performed the closing ceremonies of the Winter Olympics in the same year that you talk, had Eminem talk shit on you. So I was like, man, what, a, what, what an amazing year for, for someone. Um, and, and so I'm so pumped to just talk about all the cool projects you're working on. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the, the new project, MobyPod, which is your podcast that you guys are working on, um, as well as you got a movie, books. I mean, oh, so many cool projects that you're working on uh, in the world of Moby. Uh, on our other side here, we got Lindsay. And I'll tell you guys this, I haven't done three guests before on the platform. Normally it's because we're doing it virtually. It's just one-on-one. -on -one, so so bear with me as I'm managing this. But but Lindsay is a creator in herself. She's an accomplished creative executive and producer with extensive experience launching out-of-the-box programming and television. Um, and you know, I'm so, and you're also the head of head, head of development for Moby Entertainment. Is that correct? For Little Walnut Productions, which is Moby's uh, TV film production company. Oh, very cool. So you guys, uh, you know, I'd love, it, and you guys could decide who goes first, but I'd love to do a little bit of origin story. You know, how did you guys get to where you got to? And then we could talk about all the cool things you're working on. Maybe, um, Moby, do you want to start? Sure. Uh, okay, so I was, my origin story, I was born in New York in 1965 and my father died when I was two. I'll try and keep it brief, even though we started 57 years ago. And I grew up poor white trash in Darien, Connecticut. And the reason I mentioned Darien, Connecticut is I assume a lot of your listeners are familiar with Darien, Connecticut, which might be the wealthiest place on the planet. And it was very strange growing up on food stamps and on welfare in arguably one of the most affluent towns in the world. Uh, so I spent a lot of time around affluence, but at the same time buying my clothes at Goodwill and Salvation Army. 
And I grew up playing a lot of different types of music. You know, I studied classical music and music theory, but I also played in punk rock bands. And then I became a hip hop DJ and an electronic music DJ. And I started making my own records in the late 80s, early 90s. And just to contextualize it a little bit, I never expected to have a career as a musician. Uh, I thought I was going to get my PhD in philosophy. I was going to be a professor and I was going to make music that no one would ever listen to. So every aspect of my career has been a complete baffling surprise. And I guess to, to sort of jump forward quite a bit, I had a lot of ups and downs career-wise, you know, some successes, a lot of failures. And then in 2008, I got sober after a lifetime of drinking and doing drugs and have sort of been figuring out what it means to be alive without recourse to alcohol and drugs and without recourse to a lot of the trappings of fame that I become kind of addicted to as well. Thank you for that, man. I appreciate uh, like the story and, and, and I can't wait to dig into some of that stuff. So I appreciate you giving us the quick and dirty and, and obviously there, there's so much there. Lindsay, why don't you give us a little bit of your origin story as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I grew up moving all around all the time and it was terrible, but also educational. Um, I learned a lot about what it means to feel like an outsider and becoming an insider over and over and over again. Um, and it gave me a real sense of the issues that repeat themselves in every, every group geographically that I, um, that I wound up a part of in ways. Um, and then I went to school for Shakespearean theater for classical theater. Um, and then I moved to New York and started working in TV and film and realized that not only uh, could I find a little bit more longevity, there were more opportunities there, and eventually started working in um, TV development for Wanda Sykes' uh, company, and um, then some other companies after that, and eventually have come to um, have this working relationship with Moby. I feel like I, all along I've been looking for ways to incorporate activism into my work. Um, which is not something everyone gets to do. Uh, and I've always been trying to find a way to do it. And in conversations with Moby, we kind of figured out that this partnership could be really meaningful to bring my skills to the table, but also my passions uh, to the table and have them exist together. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. 
Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. I love that. If you guys don't don't mind, so how did yeah? How did you guys like meet? How did you guys hook up to start working on these projects? And I and I did forget to mention you guys. You guys are both activists, uh, vegan and animal rights activists. Is that correct? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we met about I guess eight years ago, and have been friends ever since. Uh, and what happened was during the pandemic. Lindsay, you know, obviously a lot of things regarding TV, film, entertainment production shut down. And Lindsay was sort of, we were hiking one day in Griffith Park and she was sort of lamenting the fact that, you know, a lot of her productions had been shut down, but also the work and Lindsay, I'm going to try and be diplomatic and, but saying like some of the work you were working on didn't necessarily reflect your ethical activist values. And I had started a very small film, TV, entertainment production company called Little Walnut. And I simply said, well, I need someone to run my production company. We're good friends and I trust you. And I think we're ethically aligned on this. So why don't you, you know, quit what you're doing and come run Little Walnut, my film and TV production company. And so, so um, that's pretty cool. Um, and so when he asked you, were you like, hell yeah. Were you like, I don't want to do this bullshit that I'm not into. I'm going to go and do the stuff that I'm really into. Walk us through that, Lindsay. Well, I was immediately like, obviously, but then I was like, wait, wait, I, I love Moby. We're such good friends for such a long time. I was honestly like, well, working together shift that. And we had this kind of conversation about it and we're like, you know, if our friendship feels starts to feel like something's weird, we'll figure it out then. And it just felt so right because I, you know, I've been, I've been longing to address 
animal rights and climate change. I think it's the most important issue facing us right now is climate change. Uh, Like all of us are in real danger every single day. And I feel like getting to take on a job and get to work with my friend where I, we get to work towards addressing these issues every day is kind of the most amazing gift I could have been offered. How did you guys become friends? Like you guys, you said eight years ago. So what is that? 2015 you guys became friends? Yeah, I think just through the world of being in Los Angeles. I mean, it's that, you know, it's that question when you've known someone for a while you can never really remember how and where, like, I think we might've met at a vegan restaurant in Los Angeles and just be, you know, just stayed friends and became friends from there. Nice. And so I also uh, feel like Moby is one of the most accessible, like everyone is a few degrees, like has met Moby, like Moby's very out there, especially because of the activism front. And so I have known so many people that are friends with him and, you know, worlds collide. Okay, got it. I want to take a step back because, I mean, like I always say in the the greatest machine, we kind of end up where we end up. And I think a lot of it has to do with our interests and our passions and those develop over time. And you guys are both being creators. I I think that that also opens up your world, right? Um, When when we go back in time and, and, you know, you are in the music business, you know, came up, you know, I I, I did a lot of research on, on your background and it was interesting to see how you came up, Moby. Um, But to, to, to go from that and to segue into activism, was it something that you were always like, yeah, like this is something I care about? Or was it like, hey, I'm focused on business. I'm focused on the business of music and and then stumbled into that. I'd love to hear a little bit of background there. Yeah, you know, and I'm going to try and not ramble on too much about this because you've just hit a subject that I'm sort of obsessed with. And it's, you know, the question of where do we find meaning? Where do we find purpose? Where do we find value? And like I said, I, when I was growing up, we were so poor, you know, and the first place I lived after leaving home was an abandoned factory in a crack neighborhood. And I was making $2,000 a year. And I never thought I would have any sort of material success. And then in the nineties, especially by the late nineties, early two thousands, I started having a lot more material success than I'd imagined. And I had been raised by academics. I'd been raised by activists and I grew up in the punk rock world and I was raised with a lot of suspicion around fame and around materialism. Mm -hmm. But having said that in the early 2000s, I jumped head first or feet first or both into the world of materialism and fame, you know, like, going to red carpet events, touring constantly. At one point I had an assistant whose only job was throwing parties for me. So it was like, I, to my shame, but it was very educational. I found myself fully enmeshed in the world of like degeneracy, debauchery, alcohol, drugs, fame, materialism. And I thought, you know, cause we, to state the obvious Darius, like we know we live in a world where people assume that the right combination of fame and wealth and external validation will fix internal issues. And I tried so hard to fix my underlying issues with fame, with money, with materialism. And the more I tried to fix myself with external things, and I don't want to sound like too much of a hippie cliche, but the more I tried to really use materialism and fame 
to fix psychological issues, the more depressed I became, the more anxious I became. And so then at some point I looked at the evidence and I recognized like I was bending over backwards to, to create more fame, to create more wealth. And all I was ending up with was more misery. And so I thought, you know what, let me focus on what actually seems to work. And for me, that was creativity and activism, you know, trying to like work on causes that don't benefit me. And the paradox there that I'm sure you're aware of is the more you focus on causes or issues that don't benefit you, the paradox is the more you benefit. So that's my, sorry for, I could ramble on for hours and hours, but that's my slightly long winded description of how I went through the maelstrom, you know, I went through the ringer of, you know, fame and wealth and ended up talking to you guys today. No, I love that, man. And, you know, you, you remind me of, you know, there's this, um, I don't think it's in Buddhism or de- called hungry. Have you guys ever heard of the concept of hungry ghost? Right. Lindsay, Lindsay was just talking about hungry ghosts literally yesterday but like 24 hours ago almost like to the minute Lindsay was talking (laughs) I swear to god I'm gonna write a book called the hungry ghost because it's like like what you're talking about I think a lot of people when you so for listeners you're not familiar with Lindsay why don't you tell our listeners what a what the hungry ghost is since you're just from my understanding the hungry ghost is kind of the the god-sized hole that we all have and trying to the the that void inside and that urge to fill it and the ease with which you think that toxic quick fixes are going to feed the hungry ghost when usually it's spirituality and service. Yeah. So, and, and so I, I had a moment probably two or three years ago where I was doing a, a plant journey with some friends and the hungry ghost showed up and my, oh, and, and I had never heard of the hungry ghost before. And my friend who's a Buddhist, who's a really good friend of mine was like, I'm talking to your hungry ghost right now. And, and, and I, and the next day we talked when we were doing, you know, uh, integration and, and he explained to me what it was. And to your point, it's this demon that, that, you know, many, every religion or most religions have a form of it where it's, you know, small, like little, little, big tummy, small mouth and, and an incessant appetite. Right. And so to your point, Moby fame, you know, you're a rock star, right? Sex, drugs, rock and roll, right? All the, all these, you know, hedonistic things. And I'm not, I'm not assuming you did all those things, but I would have if I was you. And so, (laughs) so it's like, like, like we feed through external validation to feel better, but, but we, but then we learn that nothing changes. For me, it was different. I built a couple hundred million dollar company and I was like, why do I fucking feel like shit? You know, why am I not happy? Why do I feel the same as I did when, when I had nothing? Because I hadn't fixed what was inside, you know? So for you, like finding peace, and it sounds like both of you guys have had a spiritual journey, myself included. Um, what, what was it that like, was that transition? And you talked a little bit earlier around, you know, substance abuse or, and I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounded like that was something that you overcame. Like, what was it? What was the turning point for you where you're like, yeah, like this, I want to make this about others and not just me. I mean, luckily I've had a lot of sort of epiphany moments. And, but I will say a lot of my epiphanies in hindsight are really self-evident. It just takes me personally a long time to get to the point of 
recognizing the truth of the epiphany. Uh, you know, like for example, with alcohol and drugs, like I was drinking 20 drinks a day and spending $300 a day on cocaine. And it took me 10 years to figure out that maybe this was not a sustainable, healthy way to live. You know, waking up every day sick and hungover and suicidal and anxious and depressed. And rather than doing it once or twice, I had to do it thousands of times to get to that, that self-evident epiphany of like, oh, maybe I'm an addict and I probably should not keep drinking 20 drinks a day. So regarding materialism, and again, I don't want to, this is one of the reasons why I think Lindsay and I were both really excited to talk to you is because we don't get to speak to people in the entrepreneurial space, in the business space very often. And to state the obvious, we live in a commercial world. We live in a world of materialism, wealth, entrepreneurialism, and these things are not bad. But having grown up in Connecticut, having lived in New York, having lived in LA, having had my own experience of materialism and, and wealth, what I will say is the creative, and sorry if this is really self-evident, but the creative aspects of entrepreneurialism are remarkable, you know, incredibly special. When people use their talents and their intelligence and their creativity to start companies and to, you know, go out and do fascinating things. But as we all know, the focus in order to be happy, I mean, I'll even look at Warren Buffett. I don't know Warren Buffett, but he seems like a pretty happy guy yep. because I think he loves what he does. The money is just a byproduct. Totally. Of it. I'm sure he likes the money, but like, you know, I've seen the house he lives in in Omaha and like, it's pretty normal because I think he is just excited to do what he does. And that's when entrepreneurs or creatives or anybody tend to be happy when they focus on the work and the joy of the work and the idea of trying to go out into the world and impact the world and not just the hungry ghost aspect of like hoarding the spoils. You know, I mean, I don't want to get in trouble by naming names, but just think of, you know, some people, some of whom might be an ex-president who have based their entire lives on hoarding and materialism and they seem miserable. So just what I will say to your question is the epiphanies I've had around that have been my own misery when I've tried to be a hoarder, when I've tried to feed the hungry ghost, but also looking at other people. You know, I told, I was talking about this with Lindsay yesterday that I went to this party about well, 15 years ago in New York. And do you know uh, a real estate developer in New York called Lafrac? Uh, no, I'm not familiar with that. So he's one of the like, you know, like a Trump, like a whomever, like a billionaire real estate developer. And he had a 60th birthday party and I went to it and Trump was there. This is when he was just a failed reality TV show host. And the good old Bloomberg days. was the there. Days. <laughs> the good old days. And and what's his name? Steve Schwartzman was there. Like all the billionaires were there. And they had Earth, Wind and Fire performing. And it was the least joyful event I'd ever been to. Wow. Like I was looking around at Bloomberg and Trump and all these billionaires. And I was like, they seem like the least happy people on the planet. And I just thought to myself, like, why am I buying into this? Why am I buying into this trajectory of desperately trying to accumulate wealth and external validation when clearly it doesn't actually create any happiness for these people. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like I've, I've, 
I've, since I've grown up and you know, you grew up in the business of music and, and, and have segued into these other areas. I grew up in the business of business and, and having, you know, seen, I've seen people make a lot of money and, and I've seen them, you know, there's a saying in that I learned, which is money makes you a lot more of what you already are. And so to see people, you know, get their money and, and to see them go off the, off the deep end or just do really fucked up stuff. And I'm like, yeah, like just made them more of what they were, accentuated it, right? And and there's a there's a great book. It's uh, the Almanac of, of Naval Ravikant. I highly recommend it. And he talks about you know what happiness is to him, and and he's like, happiness to me is peace, is having peace in my life, and not yearning for more. And and you start thinking like, wow, like that's interesting. Like when it, like it, it's it's not this like. Again, not to be cliche, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll happy. Like that's that that can be fun, and fun and happy are not the same, you know. But I think that the world, and 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 I'd love to hear both of your guys' thoughts on this. I think that we, you know, we're talking about Warren Buffett. You know, his partner Charlie Munger has a saying, which is, "You show me people's incentives, I'll show you their behavior." And so we live in a click world of likes and followers and influence and. I'm popular and it's like a high school popularity fucking contest. Right. And it's kind of disgusting, right? Because there's more and more of it. And it's not, not on this platform. It's a new platform and who gets attention and how do they get attention and who's new business and who's the new billionaire and who's the new top 10 single on the charts. So we're these human as humans, we're these like measure against other compare against ourselves against other machines. And, and there's that one side of it. And then when you look on the eight, like if we go back to like the ancients, the stoics, they're like, how do I live a good life? It's like, be disciplined, want less shit, right? So I'd love to, like, you know, having come from the world of entertainment and having, you know, hit some pinnacles of success in the world of music, you yourself, Lindsay, coming from the entertainment industry, I'd love to hear, like, your guys' experience with like, some of the stuff I'm talking about and how you think that, that at least if you were to give advice to your younger self, how you might have maybe cut yourself off at the past and, and got here sooner. You know, what do you think about that? And and why don't you go first, Lindsay? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in a bit of a different position. I'm still in my yearning phase and I have to be, and I want to be, I'm not at the point where I can be like enough. We're good. Like striving for me is a bit of my survival path. It's what I have to do because I'm still in a space where I have so many stories to tell and things to create. As far as working in TV film, the people that actually get extreme levels of success where they're set for life is like the top 2% of people that work in TV and film. For most people, you have to work your ass off just to sell one thing in a year or two or three. That's most people's story in TV and film. So I think there is an element of of striving and working and trying to strategize. Um, And, you know, social media has changed the landscape entirely. I think the reasons that certain things get made and when they get made and who they get made with have everything to do with people that have learned how to game the algorithm. It's all strategy to try to figure out how to work with an evolving culture and what people are interested in seeing. I mean, it's happening right now. We're all watching it. Yeah, totally. What about you, Moby? Like, what are your thoughts? Like having come from this, you know, like, especially anyone that wants to really learn like your background, like coming up in the music industry, I thought was super fascinating. It was a grind. And then you popped, you got, you went huge, you know, became a worldwide sensation. And then all the trappings that came along with that. 
but at heart you're a creator right and 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 you obviously went through a lot to get to this place of settlement like like what advice would you have given yourself in that come up time when you were like struggling so that you didn't have to go through maybe some of the stuff that was less pleasant well it's such a wonderful question and actually lindsay and i were just talking about this yesterday is one of the things i'm so grateful for at this point in my life is the perspective that i have you know and I'm not saying I have an objective perspective. Obviously, it's very subjective. It's informed by experience. But because I value my perspective, I can't have really any negative opinions about even the bad stuff that led me to have this perspective. You know, so if I was to, you know, I mean, almost feel like it's like a parent. I'm granted, I'm not a parent, but like, for a parent, like on one hand, you'd want to protect your children. Like if I was able to go back and talk to myself at age 20 or even age 30, there'd be a part of me that would want to say like, oh, don't do this and don't do that and do more of this. But I feel like I would have to keep my mouth shut because people have to make their own mistakes. They have to go through their own trajectory, their own journey. Like you can't, I truly believe you can't, be told to not touch the flame. You have to touch the flame, in my case, multiple times (laughs) to recognize that it's a bad thing to put your hand on an open flame, figuratively speaking. So I don't know the advice I would give to myself. I don't think I would get, I don't think I'd have advice, which almost makes me wonder like, what if, and this is just an interesting idea. What if we all, at some point in the future figured out time travel and there was that first question of like, oh, I want to go back and protect myself from making those mistakes. But what if somehow we all figured out you can't and you not only can't you, but you shouldn't because the mistakes are what we learn from. The adversity is what gives us wisdom. And sometimes it hurts so much and it's excruciating when it's happening. And some adversity is obviously non-beneficial but when i look back at the adversity i've experienced i'm so grateful for it because it taught me it taught me about myself it taught me about this culture in which we live you know as we keep addressing like you talked about making hundreds of millions of dollars from the world of business you have to do it to put it in perspective and to recognize why af you know affluence and success they're not bad things but they don't fix anything. You know, if they did, Elon would be the happiest person on the planet. And I guarantee you, he isn't. No, I met him, man. I said, I told you we had serial killer eyes, like, like like (laughs) straight up dead eyes. Yeah. He's not, he was an old friend of mine. We sort of had had a falling out, but uh, if, if he was a very happy person, he would not be angry tweeting 50 times a day. Like, like happy people, don't hover over their phones posting to social media 50 or 60 times a day. So to that point, it's like we learn from our own lessons, but ideally we also, best case scenario, learn from other people's both successes and failures. You know, that question of like, who is living a good self-actualized life of integrity and how can I, how can I learn from their choices? And on the other end, who is making the mistakes that ideally I can hopefully avoid making myself? And how do I learn from their, their shortcomings? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it's so funny you're saying that. Like, you got, you made me think of a couple of things. Like, number one, um, I think a lot of the times people, if the, the the great question right around the time machine, if I was to go back in the time machine, probably the, I would stop myself from making these errors. If, if again, if if I could, right? The reason I would want to stop making those errors is that I don't want to have these ego issues that come with these failures, right? My ego gets punched in the face when I lose a business or make a bad decision or look bad in front of people. This is the ego just getting slapped around. And, and there's, um, there's a great book called The Power of One More, which is by a guy named Ed Milet. And he, he's a, kind of a, he's in L.A. actually. Um, and he has this saying in the book where he says, is life happening to you or is life happening for you? Right? And if we come at this from a perspective of life happens for you, to create in that moment of adversity, let's say you had to do all those things to become who you're, who you're meant to be so that you could do, become who you are now to create what you're going to create. Then, then going back in time, you're going to completely change that trajectory, you know? And I think that that stems from not wanting to upset the ego, right? That's at least my perspective. I'd love to hear your guys thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, the ego, obviously, and I, I'm, Ego is a funny thing. I sort of see ego as being like unavoidable human fire. And what I mean by that is I don't think it's possible to be a human being without an ego. I mean, I, I, and I don't want to get in trouble for saying this, but I had a long conversation with the Dalai Lama and he was great and he was wise and he was insightful, but he also has an ego. I don't know if he would admit to that, but I could tell like, (laughs) he really liked listening to himself talk. Like he wasn't really interested in, and I'm not criticizing him because he's the Dalai Lama. I'm just saying like, like, oh, he had ego. I, we've, I'm sure you as well and Lindsay, like we've met heads of states, we've met heads of corporations, we've met academics and philosophers. I have yet to meet a human being who does not have some semblance of ego. And that's why I compare it to fire is like fire is there and you can use it to be warm in the winter and cook your food. Ideally, it doesn't kill you or burn your house down. You know, right. so it's being very caught, aware of ego, aware that you can't transcend it. What you can do is manage it in a healthy way and avoid the things that cause it to be exacerbated or to flare up. Because I know for myself, like my ego is there waiting to it's like in a it's like a caged monster and if i let it out of its cage bad things happen so i sort of have to you know treat it gently keep it in its cage and hope for the best yeah what about you lindsay i think that weirdly ego has kept me from failing more and what i mean by that is i wish that i would have been less afraid sorry less afraid to fail bagel not right now damn you dog we're on a podcast bagel talking <laughs> um uh no she's talking directly to god so i can't blame her um yeah, good for her. 
yeah. Uh, I, I wish I would have failed more. I wish that my ego would have let me put myself out there. And like, you know, if you, if you know, you have to fail 99 times to get to the hundredth time, start failing immediately to get to that one win. Like I, I just wish I, that ego, I could have brushed out to just throw stuff at the wall and fail. Um, I think maybe it's a, a, a product of growing up a woman in the world and, or it's just, you know, my, my, my circumstances as a human being, but I've had real issues around perfectionism and having to work extra, extra hard and letting things go that maybe I should have held on to ideas um, because of ego preventing me from, from the much needed failure. Love that. So, so you guys are both creators and, you know, you were talking earlier, Lindsay, about striving, right? You're the striving part of your life. And, and, and I've actually recently had this epiphany that, that I actually, cause I'm a striver, I'm a creator. I'm, you know, I'm a creative. I happen to my paintbrush is business to a certain degree, but I know like when I'm not creating, if I'm not being creative, like I don't feel alive. And, mm-hmm. and so I had this moment where I realized, at least for me, that strive there's nothing i used to think striving for the outcome was what i was it w- was the win and i've reached a point now where striving to show up to be my best self in the ways that are my gifts to the world are where i'm like yes like this this feels good this feels like it's in service mm-hmm. of of something bigger and so as as creatives you know i'd love to hear your thoughts about you know when you create striving in that creation are you striving for to make that its best so that it is a gift you can give to the world, whether it's podcast, whether it's music, whether it's television, whether it's production, or is it like, how do you guys approach that? Cause that's, I, that, for me, it's being my best self and showing up to strive to be my best self. I'd love, I'd love to hear you guys thoughts on this. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful question um, because we live in a world where oftentimes the process is solely judged by the outcome. Right. You know, the criteria by which companies, individuals, et cetera, judge whatever they're, they're, they're working on is what do they end up with? You know, is it, what are the revenue streams? What is it going to be monetized? You know, what's the chart position? What's the number of likes? And what I've personally had to learn is if you make something and put it out into the world and it's well received, or even if it generates revenue and does well, that's fine, but that's not the sole criteria by which creativity should be judged. Like what I've come to learn, especially in the world of music, is 99% of the joy I get from music is making it. You know, being in my studio, working on music, thinking about music, like just to me, it's such a refuge. And if I put it out into the world and people like it, that's great, but that's the 1% at the end of the process. And I would say even like with the podcast we have, or like with your podcast right now, if, if our conversation goes out and people love it and it goes viral, that's fine. But the conversation itself is wonderful. Yeah. You know, and if nothing comes of it, like if, if at the end of our conversation, you say, oops, I forgot to hit record. I'd be like, well, a little bit of a bummer, but still, we had a wonderful conversation. Why solely judge the creative process based on what the creative product is? Yeah, I love that. What do you think, Lindsay? 
I've learned a lot from Moby in this sense because Moby is not afraid to put an idea out there. He he will just throw a bunch of things at the wall and doesn't give a shit if they stick. But because he's this kind of constant outpouring of creativity, there's going to be something that sticks because there's just so much. And I feel like that's been a huge lesson to me to put output, creative output, way in front of some perceived uh, judgment or monetization or what does it make or what do people think to not care about any of that stuff, to just make because making is awesome. I love that. <laughs> and it feels good. <laughs> and expression is beautiful and a, and a divine thing that we get to do as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. This is like in the, in, you're in the light of God when you create, right? So, you mm-hmm. know, whatever God means to you. So I, I'd like to kind of like, like touch on that a little bit because having been someone that had massive commercial success, right? Like when you, you go into your catalog, Moby, it's, it's fucking awesome and ridiculous, right? It's like you're, you have created some of the most iconic music that's ever been made. And, 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 and there's probably been a lot of stuff that no one gave a shit about too. So having look looking at those two things, what do you think like seeing that like juxtaposition around like, wow, this is commercially successful versus this is like I love this, but no one else gives a shit about this. Like, what do you think it is that creates those two things? I I don't know. Um, I mean, there's you know because there's for years people have been trying to create algorithms to either create or evaluate pop music. And it's impossible. You know, I mean, there are certain components like songs with words and choruses tend to do better than instrumentals. Songs with compelling rhythm tracks tend to do better than songs without drums. But like, no one knows. Or the people who do are the, I guess, the Max Martins of the world. You know, he's the guy who produced Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and Britney, etc. I... I don't know, and I will say like 16 or 17 years ago, I desperately wanted to know. Like I really wanted to figure out how to create more success, more material success, more pop success. And it used to really frustrate me that I wasn't better at it. You know, (laughs) that the commercial success I've had has, and I'm saying this very earnestly, all been completely accidental. Wow. You know, like the, the most... Like one song in particular, which I think is really funny, is the song Extreme Ways. So that was the main single from my album 18, which was the follow-up to Play, which Play sold 12 million copies. So 18 was basically like the labels were waiting for it. The media was waiting for it. I was on the cover of every magazine. And we made a video for this song, Extreme Ways. We spent almost a million dollars on it. And it failed. Wow. Like it really failed. This was back in the days of MTV. It got played once. Literally, it got played one time at two o'clock in the morning and then got shelved. Oh. And so my big single to the big follow-up, like all of a sudden it was failing. And I was like, oh no, but I tried so hard. Like I really thought this was going to be a pop breakthrough. And it was a radio didn't play it, no one liked it, and it failed. But then Doug Lyman made the first Jason Bourne movie and he asked me if he could use, he and Frank Marshall said, can we use 
uh, this song at the end of the Jason Bourne movie. And I was like, yeah, I mean, Jason Bourne, who's going to go see that? Sure. Why not? Because never seen it. You know, it's this book that's like 50 years old right. that probably no one paid attention to then. And it became a weird hit. And now it's one, like it's, it's probably globally well over a billion streams, largely thanks to it being used in this movie, you know, those Jason Bourne movies. So the point being, I, any success I've had has just been a weird accident. Even the song Porcelain, which is my most ever streamed song, I almost didn't include it on the album play because I thought it was too badly produced and too weird. And I was like, well, it doesn't even have a chorus, but somehow it connected. So you can't, you can't figure it. I mean, some people can, but I, I am definitely not one of those people. And it's just forced me to be much more, I don't know, like lighthearted and relaxed about the creative process. Like you put something out into the world, maybe it connects, maybe it doesn't, but why not at the very least and at the very most love the act of making it. So that way, if it never reaches an audience, at least you have felt this like profound joy of creation. So, you know, you just reminded me that there's a book by Stephen Pressfield, The, the War of Art. I don't know if you, you've read that book. It's, it, it talks mm-hmm. about resistance, right? So when you think of like that moment where you put this like, you know, the, the, the next album out, this is the, the follow up to the massive hit, and then you fail. Was there a resistance that you had where you're like, like, did that hurt the creative process for you? Or were you like, fuck it, I'm just going to move on to the next thing? Uh, it definitely, it hurt. Because at the time, I was so head over heels in love with fame. And I put out this album, and it was it was getting bad reviews. It was selling a lot less. I wasn't being invited to as many fancy events. So, like, objectively, I was aware that my my star was waning and I loved my star at the time. Like I wanted more, you know, and, but in hindsight now, this is the weird thing. I'm so grateful for everything that happened or didn't happen. You know, I'm grateful even for the flawed assumptions I made. I'm grateful for the shortcomings that led me to want external validation because there's something about learning hard lessons painfully that removes as far as like the role of ego it removes any arrogance because basically i don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to judging other people because almost every mistake anyone else has made i've probably made the exact same mistake but honestly believing that it was not a mistake when i was doing it and having to be learn the hard lesson that like you know my best thinking tends to be pretty flawed yeah you know that there's i'm i'm listening to this book um you guys listen to ryan holiday you guys like his stuff you ever heard of it he does the stoics it's really good uh, i mean I, I i i know that the stoics which is sort of wonderful and ironic and funny like they're having their rock star moment which you know for a greek philosophical movement that is approximately 4500 years old i do think it's really funny that like 
suddenly the Stoics are having their moment in the sun, I know. which is great. So, but I, I don't know his his book. So he he takes the, the Stoics and he makes it digestible for people that don't want to pick up you know meditations and read it you know in its in its like original form. Um, is that Aurelius? Medi- yeah, yeah, Marcus Aurelius, okay. Aurelius's book. So, um, or if you want, you know, Epictetus or any of those guys, right? And so, but he makes it super digestible. He's, he used to be a marketing guy for American Apparel, but and he's and he's got a great podcast. Um, so I'm reading his book, uh, Stillness is Key, and he talks and he's talking about Tiger Woods and Tiger Woods' dad, and 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 you and you said something a second ago that just reminded me of that, and they had a they had a secret word because because his dad pushed him so hard because he wanted him to be the best ever. And they, and, and he could tap out when his dad was like o- overcoming him with too much uh, uh, like aggressiveness or like pushing him too hard. And they called it the E word and the E was for enough. And so, you know, we're kind of landing on the spot where it's like, you know, when you have enough, then you can have that gratitude around the experience to your point or for striving for what's next in Lindsay's case, right? When we have enough of, then we can do those things. So, you know, having, you know, I want to move on to the, the the stuff you're working on now, but I just wanted to kind of like put a pin in this, you know, when you think of, you know, the world of music right now or the world of entertainment and you, you think of the zeitgeist that we're in as far as like people's behavior and how they're approaching you know, I feel like pe- everyone wants to be famous more more now than ever because the accessibility of having your own platform is there. How do you how do you think of enough when you when it comes to your work or your creative abilities? I'd love to hear from both of you guys on this. Moby, oh, Lindsay, do you want to start? Um, I I guess it's a it's an interesting concept. I feel like enough is such a, to me, I, I don't, I don't know what that is yet. I'm still on the path of figuring out what enough and not enough is. I think it's this constantly moving, uh, goalpost in all of our lives of when is enough and when isn't enough. Um, I think like I've, there's a certain amount of like treatment in jobs I've had before or in relationships or something when it's like, you know, you know, when enough is enough, but as far as pushing yourself and meeting your own goals, I'm not sure. I don't know. I like that. I mean, and I think it's, it's kind of a cool exercise to, to see when, when enough is enough. Right. And you'll probably know when you know, right. What about you, Moby? Well, again, going back and, and one of the things I'm sort of obsessed with, is the idea of being willing to look at evidence. You know, Lindsay and I were just talking about this yesterday with a friend of ours, how our culture hates evidence. You know, like we really, we love ideas and beliefs, but we don't like evidence. Meaning, you know, like like for years, I thought I was a healthy person, even though I was having 20 drinks a night and spending tons of money on cocaine and drugs. And I was like, I was unwilling to look at the evidence. I just, cause I had this idea, like, oh, I'm a healthy person. Like, yeah, you want to kill yourself every day and you're miserable and depressed and anxious and you're a drug addict and alcoholic. But still I held on to the idea desperately that none of that was true because I didn't want to look at the evidence. Mm. And I would even say in the world of business, in the world of pop culture, 
is that, again, that unwillingness that people have to look at the evidence, you know, the evidence, are they happy? You know, if you're in a relationship or a business environment or starting a company or what have you, like, why constantly strive for more? You know, like I've, I've at times in my life had too much stuff and I've always sort of wondered like, why, why? Like, I'm just one person. Like, why do I need 12 bedrooms? You know, like, what's the point? Like, it, and I think the funny thing about the concept of enough is I would almost say it's like a universal idea that something in humans have set, we've separated ourselves from it, you know? Like goldfish don't understand enough. Like they'll eat until they die. And I feel like they're maybe our closest living relative because most animals, <laughs> when they have enough, they stop eating. Yeah. You know, when like, I mean, it's so funny. I look at the animal world. I'm like, they don't own anything. Well, granted, Bagel the dog does have some <laughs> toys that she really loves. She's very attached but, to a couple of them. But for the most part, like animals are like, yeah, like, they have enough, like a bird has one nest. It's enough, you know, yeah. a coyote has his pack and it's enough. And it's kind of like, they understand their, they understand that so intrinsically. And then you look at like, you know, some captains of industry and like they have the G4 and they have the G7 and they have the Dreamliner and they have homes all around the world. And they're miserable. Yeah, I'm like who the, and the f- question who wants is like, to manage that, like, right? Yeah, like why? Like, like you mentioned Jim Carrey, I think earlier. Uh, did you mention Jim? No, Carrey? no, it's funny. Like he just did. Uh, he, oh. he just said something about this too. It was, I, I was thinking that because he said that he's finally hit a point where he's had enough. He's done. He's Psychic. Reti- he's, re- he, and it, he's retiring. Wow, that's well. That was crazy. I was thinking that. Wow. Wow. So okay, Sorry. so I'm having a psychic moment from L.A. to Austin, but it's. It's something that I keep coming back to. If you, if an individual cannot be happy eating a delicious piece, like let's say in in my case, like an orange, like I love a good organic orange. Like if I can't be happy sitting outside, eating an organic orange, smelling the flowers and enjoying a beautiful day, nothing's going to make you happy. Yeah. And I say that because I've tried to make myself happy with everything else. It doesn't work. And, and when it's the idea of evidence, when we look at the evidence, it's clear it's not working for anyone. You know, just look at the billionaires, look at the heads of state, look at these incredibly materially successful people. They've never learned how to say enough and there's no joy. Yeah. You know, and there's no mean, there's no actual meaning and purpose. It's just that hungry ghost again. And so it's it's a wonderful thing if you can get to that point of looking with some degree of quasi-objective empiricism or quasi-empirical objectivism to actually say, is this enough? You know, do I, in this moment, am I fed? Am I rested? Am I alert and alive, then probably this is enough. I love that. So I want to respect your guys' time. Um, love to talk a little bit about the, the new show, uh, MobyPod, and some of the other projects you're working on. So yeah, tell us about that. Like, well, Tell us about the MobyPod. I mean, obviously, you got a lot to say about a lot of stuff. And, and that, you know, honestly, 
I wanted to kind of go in a lot of different directions with you guys because I felt like this would be a great greatest representation of of how people, you're going to show up on your show, and we're here to promote the new podcast. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, it's funny because obvious, and I'm, I'm really stating the obvious. There are a lot of podcasts out there. Oh yeah. You know, there might even be as many podcasts as there are humans on the planet at this point. Like there's so many podcasts. It's such a, a, a wildly overpopulated space. So Lindsay and I were talking about starting a podcast, but we were both kind of hesitant, like, oh, does the world need another podcast? There's so many. But we thought this is such a wonderful platform to talk to each other, to talk to different guests. And the one thing we've tried to build into MobyPod is the idea that we can address anything, you know? So for example, we just had Steve-O on to talk about sobriety and animal sanctuaries. Um, we had my friend, our friend Dan Butner was on. He invented the concept of the blue zones. Our friend Derek was on. He's the singer from the punk rock metal band Sepultura. So this diversity of guests and to try and talk about everything from quantum mechanics to sobriety to art to culture and what i will say is and again lindsay and i were just talking about this yesterday is and i'm sorry if this sounds very esoteric but i think it's true is i think there is something profound and potentially even sacred with the podcasting space like even like this conversation we're having right now like it's a meaningful conversation. Like we're all being respectful of each other and we're talking about important ideas in the hope that people who are listening, this might resonate with them. Yeah. This might connect with them. This might be of service to them. So I've, I've actually come to be like quite a sort of evangelist for the podcasting space. Obviously not all podcasts, but the podcasts where people are willing to be honest and have integrity and be vulnerable. I think it's, there's something really special about that. I love that. Lindsay, would you like to add anything to your thoughts on the, on the new Moby pod? Yeah. I just feel like it's, it's such a gift to go deep with people, but also for my friendship with Moby, it's fun to be able to, after knowing each other for so long, get to know each other in deeper, different ways that we may not have ever gotten to if we went to lunch or on a hike, because we get to have these very focused, in-depth conversations. And I get to learn more about Moby and his career and how he ticks. And I get to learn about myself and the process and how it affects me. So it's very personal, you know, because not only is it us getting to know each other better as friends, as activists, as creators, but also getting to expand our knowledge of people that have already meant a lot to us. Yeah. So it's just, it's this, it's this beautiful thing that we get to do together. Love that. And there's one thing I will add to that is Lindsay, when you were talking, you reminded me of the first time I did Bill Maher's show when he had politically incorrect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This was years ago. I mean, my goodness, this was a long time ago. And Bill and I are old friendly acquaintances and I kind of, you know, he's got, we all have some issues, but like, he's definitely like a smart, interesting personality, but I did politically incorrect and I swore I would never do it again because it was all people talking on top of each other. And I liked the show. I liked watching it, but I, I'm not a, I'm not good at talking over people. I'm not good at competing with people. 
so I love like Lindsay, when you were speaking and Darius, when you're speaking, I love that we'd listen. And it's something magical about the podcast space is it's not people fighting for attention. It's when one person speaks, the other people are willing to listen. And I think there's something very respectful and profound about that. Who do you guys think is the, um, I have two questions for you and I, I want to get you out of here on time. Um, so first question is who do you think the ideal audience is for MobyPod? And, and like, why do you think that they're the ideal audience? Boy, oh boy, Lindsay, what do you think? Well, I think that it's a podcast for people that care about compassion and creativity, because I, I believe that we are trying to create a space that is fun and deep and spiritual, and that pushes us to learn things about how we can show up better in our world and on this planet as humans. Um, so anyone that wants to do any of those things, I would say they should listen to our podcast. Love it. Bobby, and, what about you? And also, I would just I would just add one thing is like people who are curious and open minded, you know, because I love the idea of talking to people like like I said, Steve-O, most people would think of Steve-O as being a jackass because sure. he was on the show Jackass. And he's, you know, they, they would think of him as being this loud, chaotic force of anarchy. And I really appreciate that people are open minded to listen to him and recognize, oh, he's actually quite thoughtful and quite, you know, ethical in his own way. Like, you know, pursuing sobriety, pursuing spirituality, wanting to open an animal sanctuary. So I would say that our audience is all the things Lindsay said, but also hopefully curious and open-minded and not immediately deferring to prejudged opinions. Yeah. You know, I think that our culture, and I know, I apologize, I'm saying the obvious, our culture is so knee-jerk judgmental. And I just feel like for the quality of life and maybe even for the continued life of humans, we have to be willing to be more open-minded, be more open to other people's ideas, be more willing to listen to people we might ostensibly disagree with because this, this cable news anger culture of just like people just like hold on to their judgments and there's no listening involved and that's it's so toxic and destructive yeah my gosh man we should have booked like three hours we could i, I literally could, <laughs> I, like no joke i have i could go so, there's so many more questions i have for you guys but um i i do want to respect your time so we have the greatness question here i forgot to tell you about that in pre-show so i'm going to surprise you with the greatness question um so I'll, I'll ask you guys uh the greatest question you guys can each give us your answer and then we'll get wrapped up here and get you on your way so the greatness question we ask everybody it's all about the greatest machine is all about creating greatness in the world so my question for both of you is what is the number one barrier to creating greatness that you've over Overcome in your life, and how did you overcome it? Who wants to go first? Wow, what a wonderful question! Thank you. I mean, so Lindsay, do you want to go first, or do you want do you want me to ramble on so you can have a moment to think about it? I'll, I would love for you to to express yourself in this moment. <laughs> okay. as you like. I would never call it rambling so, on, which you call it all the time, but I think it's always meaningful things you say. So one, Darius, can you just sort of rephrase that again? Because yeah. I want to make so, sure that I, re it's a really good question. I want to respect it. So what's the number one barrier to creating greatness that you have overcome in your life and how did you overcome it? The number one barrier, oh, 
Wow. I would say the number one barrier that I've had has been believing my assumptions about things Mm. and an unwillingness to both accept that my assumptions are sometimes the product of limited, flawed, fear-driven information. But also, I I think one of the keys to whatever little gleaming bits of wisdom I've had is the recognition that I'm not omniscient. You know, and I, like in a universe, it's what, 15, 30 billion years old with a trillion galaxies. Uh, I mean, I don't know anything. And that lack of omniscience is such a hard thing to accept. It's a hard thing to inhabit, but the opposite is short-sighted. At least for me, the opposite is presumptuous, fear-driven, linear, non-quantum short-sightedness. So it's the willingness. I don't know if I can transcend my linear short-sightedness, but I can be aware of it. And I can also have an understanding of the narratives and limitations it creates. And so getting to actual greatness as a, a human, as an activist, as a former philosophy major, as just a living being is the openness that comes with living in a world that we will never understand, but can be eternally fascinated by. I love that, man. Lindsay, bring us home. I would say my, when I believe in my own value, the value of, of what I have to offer is when I get the closest to feeling like I'm doing something great because it's very easy for me. And I know I'm not alone to fall into what's the point. No one will ever see it. I, it, it'll go poorly, but if I can get myself into a space where I feel expansive and confident and like what I'm doing has meaning, that's when I, and I get in the pocket of, uh, of what I believe to be greatness. I love it. Man, you guys, you guys are amazing. This was so much fun. I mean, like I said, next time we'll book like three hours and have more fun or go do, do it in LA. Um, so um, Moby.com is where we can find all things Moby. Where, anything else for people that want to connect? I know you got the podcast, you got books, you got so much movies, all these things. What, to give our audience the quick rundown and we'll get this wrapped up. Do you know, it's funny. You mentioned Moby.com and I just realized I haven't looked at that in a couple of years, so I should probably update it. Like, um, MobyPod's on there, just, just so you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Maybe someone's cool. updating it and I'm not even aware of it. So yeah. like, uh, but I, I mean, Lindsay and I are both on Instagram. I'm, I'm on Instagram as Moby. Lindsay, I, are you on as Lindsay Hicks or Lynn's Hicks? or Lynn's, Lynn's Hicks. With yeah. a Z. And yeah. Uh, yeah, but now you've reminded me, I need to actually look at Moby.com and remember the good old days when, when websites were king. Nice. Well, you guys, uh, check them out on Insta. Check out the website as long as it's updated. And you guys, <laughs> Moby, Lindsay, you guys are rock stars, like literally rock stars. And uh, I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for coming on The Greatness Machine. Thanks, Oh, Darius. thank you for having us. This was, yeah, this was really special. Thank you. You guys, uh, listeners, share this. We're givers, we, leaders. We share good information when we get it. Moby and Lindsay dropped massive knowledge here today. Until next time, peace out. We love you.
you are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.